Thank you, Matthew, for having me. Uh, thank you for returning to many familiar faces. I haven't got to know maybe all of your names, obviously, but got familiar faces, friendly faces. Um, and yes, it only took me three days to drive here. So uh, if anybody can fall asleep, it's, it's the preacher. So yeah, I, I, I live in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, I think Walmart. I'm five, 10 minutes from Walmart world. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I drove, I drove first of all to Louisville, which where my son lives. And so I had an overnight there and had a busy time with uh, six grandkids in that home. So that was a noisy morning, and then I escaped that and uh, made a second day's journey up to Rochester. It was just a day on the road, and uh, then finally, my hosts, uh, I arrive in, uh, in this glorious part of the country. So I'm, I'm thankful to be here, thankful for, your, uh, thankful for your partnership in what we're doing, and I hope that just by being here with you, I do feel very strongly the importance of in-person visiting. Um, the in-person visit of the missionary. I know Zoom, I know COVID, I know, yes, I get all that, but where we can, um, and certainly I've been traveling really since about summer last year, I've been pretty much traveling as normal. A few little restrictions here and there, but generally, I had about three months where I wasn't, where we kind of locked down, and I was stuck at my desk, and it was a fruitful time, I did other things. Um, but I was glad to be on the road again. And so I'm thankful for being with you, to thank you in person for your prayers and your interest and your support for what we do. That's, that's important for missionaries to do that, to be accountable to you. We are not experts who just go and do our thing and you just give us the money. That is not my ecclesiology. That's not my missiology. My understanding is that there are those that are sent out and engaging in work that you perhaps can't do, and you uh, engage in prayerful support and financial support for that work. But that is a partnership. That is uh, as close as possible a connect with the local church. And also, as you will see as I go through what I'm going to say, um, equipping the local church is part of what we do as well. So the first, uh, the, the mission statement, you've, you've seen it before if, if, you've, uh, if you were here the last time I was here, um, really falls into two categories. It's advancing the Christian faith, in other words, preaching the gospel to ethnic Jewish people. So telling Jewish people about Jesus is kind of a, a summary tagline. The second part of that is to challenge and assist the church to fulfill this task. So it's not just our task. It's, it's your task, and we can be an extension of your arm in doing that task, but you also have a local responsibility to reach the Jewish people. If we have a biblical mandate, if there is a biblical imperative for Jewish mission, then it's not just our work, it's, it's, it's your work, and it's, it's all our work. So part of it is frontline missionary activity that, we, that you'll see, Another part of it is equipping and challenging and, and uh, assisting the church. For our presentation this morning, I, I, I wanted just to take us back to a good Scotsman by the name of Samuel Rutherford. And uh, again, as those of you who know me, I'm, I'm Northern Irish. I moved over here nine years ago, became citizens just before I arrived with you two years ago. So uh, yeah, your mess is my mess, yeah. My fellow Americans, and uh, but I am originally from uh, Northern Ireland, which is kind of the Scots-Irish part 
of, of Ireland. So I love my Scottish Presbyterian forefathers. And I love this hymn. I don't know if you sing it. The sands of time are sinking. Do you know that hymn at all? If you do. I've told my wife that I want, to, I want that sung at my funeral. All 17 verses of it. <laughs> Um, because actually what happened was Anne Ross' cousin wrote from the last words of Samuel Rutherford, as you see there, and she wrote this poem, and it is beautiful. But one of the things that, uh, that, that uh, one of the lines from the hymn that really strikes me is, with mercy and with judgment, my web of time he wove. He is weaving our web of time. He is weaving nations. And even later this morning, we're going to actually look at the land of Israel. And as I, I said, uh, I, I rarely preach. I, in fact, this will be my first time I've ever preached on the land, particularly. Um, I kind of stayed away from that subject, but I will be talking about the land of Israel, from again, from a biblical perspective uh, this morning. But nations, lands, kingdoms, he is weaving his and my web of time. We were just commenting over breakfast even about how um, I, I met a couple, few years ago, I met with Alistair Begg. And uh, Alistair Begg's kind of my go-to preacher along the road, and I listen to his podcasts, and I know some of you do as well. Um, but I learned when I visited with Alistair Begg, and he's about you know, five or six years older than I, and, but so his, his illustrations and his, you know, his, his the music and things like that all resonate with me. It's Scotland, it's Northern Ireland, it's, it's, it's the 70s and 60s. But I learned that his parents honeymooned in my hometown in Northern Ireland. And actually, he used to go on holiday uh, vacation uh, in the 60s to, to, to my hometown. And I, and I was just thinking and trying to, again, I wonder did that little 11-year-old Alistair Begg and this little 5-year-old Steve and Atkinson go into the same candy store at the same time. Who knows? <laughs> but to think of that little 11-year-old Alistair Begg and little 5-year-old Stephen in that same town in the mid-1960s, and then in the weaving of our web of time and the ministry he had in Edinburgh and the ministry he now has in Cleveland, and the ministries that we have all had, and, the, and the, our times are in his hands. He weaves our web of time. So I want us to kind of think of that as the overarching theme to how the Lord is working his purpose out in the grander redemptive plan, which is spanning centuries, uh, even millennia. Back to Samuel Rutherford. One of Samuel Rutherford's um, great desires was Jewish mission. I don't know if you knew that, but Samuel Rutherford was part of the Westminster Assembly of Divines. He was one of the Scottish guys that made the long journey down to that pagan country called England. And uh, Sorry, that's naughty. Um, but he, he made this journey down to the Westminster Assembly, and he greatly influenced the Westminster Assembly. And I might even suggest that particularly on the theme of Jewish mission, and I haven't got them up on screen, but if you want to check your larger catechism, question 191, not 911, 191, uh, you will see a specific prayer for Jewish mission in the 1640s, in the Westminster documents. Did Rutherford affect that? Probably. Because his longing was to see the sight next to Christ coming in the clouds, the most joyful 
our elder brethren, the Jews, and Christ fall upon one another's necks and kiss each other. They have been so long, they've been long asunder, they will be kind to one another when they meet. And even the one on the right-hand side, he's, he's praying to stay out of heaven to see that victorious, triumphing Lord act that prophesied part of his soul-conquering love, taking into his kingdom the greater sister, that Kirk of the Jews. He is longing for the Jews to come to see their Messiah in the 1600s. This, this is our heritage. This is, this is our theological, historical heritage. But it's not just history. It, it's, it's Bible. Um, a serious question that I want to just air, and, I'm, and I haven't really got the time to, delve, to deal with it in any great depth, but Romans 9 through 11, is that a parenthesis or a pinnacle? And what I mean by that is, as you go through the book of Romans, you know the book of Romans, I'm sure you've preached on it. It, it has to be the central part of our Reformed heritage, isn't it? The, the, the justification by faith, or gospel is the power of God unto salvation, or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or the, the struggle with the natural man in Romans 7, or nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ in Romans 8. No, no condemnation, no separation. Romans 8. Wonderful, wonderful chapter. There is not no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing in all creation will separate us. That's the culmination of Romans 8. And then, then the apostle, I think, puts down his pen. I am speaking the truth. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the fact they are Israelites. It's almost as if he's challenging God. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. So what is happening here is the apostle, with the glorious gospel truths, is discovering, yes, no condemnation, no separation, no condemnation, no separation. But my people, to whom belong all this stuff. They're separate. What's happening, Lord? So either Romans 9 through 11 is, is kind of a, a little side route that the apostle takes on the whole Jewish question, or, or it's the pinnacle. He's climbing higher. Because the story of, of, of divine redemption has some more glorious truths. Is God finished with Israel? So he has this angst in Romans 9. In Romans 10, the angst is poured into a prayer. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. What's the one thing Israel needs? Not to find the red heifer or buy a tree for Israel or get them all back to the land. It's that they may be saved. That's the apostle's heart for Israel. And so when he gets into chapter 11... Verse 1, has God rejected? By no means. Romans, 1, or Romans 11, 11 comes back to the same question. Did they stumble that, that they may fall? And, and the, the Greek has a sense of falling beyond recovery. By no means. 
Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What? Imagine the Jewish people reading this. The goyim, the unclean, the pagan nations, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And then he goes on to say, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion? Wow. Not the end of the story yet. And so the chapter 11 goes on to speak of the grafting in again of the natural branches. God is able to graft them in again. The chapter goes on to speak, in this way all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. The deliverer will come, will. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has unfulfilled purposes for the ancient people. It's, it's, it's the pinnacle. It's not just a little side route. It's the pinnacle. Romans eleven twenty six, as you can see there, well, that's what I read. Okay, that's, uh, that's what I've got in front of you. So we've have, we have Bible giving us that mandate. We have history also. And indeed, again, just to give you a few more quotations, Puritan motivation. Sibs, the faithful Jews, rejoice to think of the calling of the Gentiles. Have you read Psalm 67? Psalm 67, they were praying for you 3,000 years ago. They were praying that this meeting here in Concord would happen. Do you believe that? 3,000 years ago, the Jewish faithful were praying that the God of Israel would reveal himself and his Savior, salvation, to the nations, Psalm 67. And so Sibs is right. They prayed for us. And why should we not joy to think of the calling of the Jews? And uh, I probably need to continue on, but the quotes from John Owen are there. You may already have read them, but Edwards... I might as well read Edwards when I'm here, of course. <laughs> Nothing is more certainly foretold in the national conversion of the Jews in Romans 11 when they shall be called that ancient people who alone were God's people for so long a time shall be his people again, never to be rejected more. This is a historic, biblical, reformed, theological, missiological understanding that God has yet unfulfilled purposes for the ancient people. However, we face a challenge. The challenge concerns a number of things. One of them is the lie of the land. And by that I mean there are a lot of lies about the land. And I'm going to deal with that a little bit in, more in the sermon. Uh, but just to say the interest in the land only for purely political reasons is, is not enough. In fact, it's, 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 it's going in the wrong direction, as we've already said. We need to think about the lie of the land, and we need, as CWI, we need to address that as we are addressing people within churches. I go to some good, good churches, and, and they'll say to me, oh, John Hagee, he's a great guy, isn't he? And I'm thinking, okay, well, John Hagee believes that there's two ways into heaven, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. He believes in dual covenant theology, and he believes in supporting Israel only politically, militarily. I've read his 32-page magazine cover to cover. It never mentioned Jesus once. Wow. A missionary magazine from the supposedly most 
um, supported Israel ministry in this country with two to three million supporters, and his missionary magazine never mentions Jesus. Is that intentional? Yes, sure it is. Because there are lies out there. It's all about the land. Let's stand with Israel. There's the lie of the land we need to address. There's the danger of distraction. And so you get all kinds of silly stuff. And uh, you get this latest blockbuster DVD or this latest book that's going to tell you the secret to uh, Isaiah, whatever. Or mix a little bit of Ezekiel and Jeremiah together and boom, I've got this new bestseller. I know the timeline. And, and we... We just see that again and again, the danger of distractions away from, what is it that we need to do? Romans 10, 1, that they may be saved. Oh, but did you read this latest book that tells you? The danger of distractions. Instead, the obligations of opportunity. The obligations of opportunity. And I'm going to maybe come on to those. Well, those were, there's another couple of, things pertaining to, you can check websites on blood moons, and people go frantic about blood moons. But the opportunity is that we have an American Jewish mission field. We have 42% of the world's Jewish population here in the United States. 42% of Israel lives on our shores. That is no accident. Again, last night we were visiting, and I was chatting over some of the history that brought that about. It's a fascinating history, and, and maybe I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that at another time. But we, are, we have an American Jewish community of some six million here, many in the Northeast, many even in this area. Obviously, New York, two million. The Snowbirds down in South Florida, 660,000. Chicago, 200,000. Philadelphia, quarter of a million. L.A., half a million. And every major city in the U.S. has a Jewish, even Kansas City has 10,000 Jewish people. We have the obligations of opportunity. I don't often get a backdrop like this. It's not quite what, uh, what you have here. But a few months ago, and I, and I, I, I kind of joke, but it, this is a PCA church, can you believe? Yeah, it is. This is a PCA church in South Florida. It's a three to 4,000 member PCA church in Boca Raton. And I got the opportunity to preach there, and I'm very thankful for that. 100,000 Jewish people living in Boca Raton. Now, if that church gets mobilized, again, I'm not maybe giving away any secrets. I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to preach there and, and, and stir the church. But one of the elders came over to me afterwards and he said, you know, that's the first time in 20 years I have heard a sermon on intentional Jewish evangelism. And I was encouraged by him, but also saddened that here's a church, a PCA church, in the middle of Jewish Boca Raton. And that's the first time he heard a service or sermon on intentional Jewish mission. Church, awake! Awake! One of the things that I have been engaging in in my desk time during COVID year and, and, and beyond uh, is developing this. It's called Awakening the Conscience. And uh, it's kind of been a development in process over, over many, many years. 
but it's putting together 20 sermons, lectures, historical lectures, and contemporary uh, wisdom pertaining to how the church may engage with its Jewish neighbor. And I, I split it into three areas. Any good sermon has three points, doesn't it? Yeah. And actually, any good sermon has three aspects to it. It has scripture, it has illustration, it has application. Okay, you're getting a sermon on sermons now. But scripture, illustration, application. What we have here are 20 on scripture, why we should be engaging in Jewish mission. Illustration is history. History is screaming at us why we should be engaging in Jewish mission. And then application, I have uh, another six on how to reach our Jewish neighbors. Uh, this is all online, or at least 13 of the 20, and I'll have the rest of them all done by the end of the year. Uh, but 13 out of the 20 are online, on our website, and they're on YouTube. But I was really struck by a quotation from um, the former general secretary of this mission in London in the 1940s. And in the 1940s, celebrating the 100th anniversary of this missionary society, because it began in 1842, well, this Frank Exley, who was the general secretary of CWI in the 1930s and 40s, he said, with hearts aflame and lo with love for Israel and longing that those into whose midst Christ was born should come to know him as their savior, the founders of our society felt that a twofold task was committed to them. You see the twofold task. The first and greatest concern was to seek to present Christ to the Jewish people that they might feel his infinite attraction. The second was to awaken the conscience of the Christian church to the long neglected duty of Israel's evangelization. That was 80 years ago. It's the same today. It's bringing Jesus to our Jewish neighbors and awakening the conscience of the Christian church to the long-neglected duty of Israel's evangelization. So I commend that to you, and I really would like to see it as widespread. Even that church in Boca Raton, one of its pastors is taking the course. Several other churches are looking at the course and perhaps using it in Sunday school class. Um, and I'm just delighted to, again to try and challenge the church and equip the church to be the church in Jewish areas. We have an American Jewish mission field. And as I've said repeatedly, we have a pro-Israel mindset for probably all the wrong reasons. But we do have a pro-Israel mindset. We need to utilize that and we need to educate that. And we have a resourceful Christian public. And I, I say that as a, as a Brit coming over to these shores that you guys get things done. And I have never, and I thank you for that. I'm not just saying it because I'm here to, to thank you for your, your financial gifts and whatever. I have never seen in all my world travels the generosity that I have seen in these shores. You are a resourceful Christian public that if we get our conscience awakened, if we see the mission field, then let's get to kingdom labor. Well, let me quickly go through some other areas as well. Some local operations. We are in Pittsburgh. This is Mitch Tepper on the uh, left side. And uh, Mitch is a Jewish believer from Brooklyn. And uh, he, he speaks with the correct accent. Uh, and it works fine in, in Jewish Squirrel Hill. 
right next to him is Aharon. He's an Iraqi who just happens to be in Squirrel Hill. And he meets Mitch. He's Jewish. An Iraqi Jewish guy meeting in Pittsburgh just by chance. Mm -hmm. And Mitch is able to share his testimony with him, is able to give him a New Testament, Hebrew New Testament. We, and, and we have literature. We have all other kinds of literature. One of the pieces of literature, and I think I have some on the table, but this is no thanks on Jewish. This is Mitch's testimony in, in a nutshell. But basically he says whenever he was approached by Christian missionaries way back in the 70s, when he was approached by Christian missionaries, he just used to say, no thanks, I'm Jewish. That was kind of the stock answer, but uh, one particular Christian missionary pressed it a little more firmly. But So we have these tracts and, and other uh, gospel tracts on this crossroads in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. And we sat out a table of stuff. Uh, I'm actually going by Mitch uh, on my journeys to, to Ohio, so I am going to stop by for a morning uh, in Pittsburgh and, and just catch up with them. You see also on the right-hand side is Shalom Board. Uh, I think I shared with you the last time what we do, and that we simply ask people, what brings Shalom? What brings peace? One question. Uh, can I ask you one question? Can I ask you one question? What brings peace in the world? And, of course, they're writing, right? <laughs> Get rid of Trump. <laughs> Get a new government. Yeah, so they're writing all this stuff. But he has all these answers. And, in fact, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's not maybe, it's not, too spiritual, but he, he keeps all these in a black bag. He has black bags <laughs> full of people's answers because it reflects simply that I've sown a seed. I've sown a seed. They have sown, they've, they've given their suggestions, and I've given my testimony and given my answer. So we're there in Pittsburgh uh, once, twice a week, particularly in, in the better weather, and it's good at the moment. It will change a little uh, as things get a little colder, so it might not be. But we also have helpers. We have helpers from the Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, which is only two miles away from this, this spot. And some of uh, Mitch is a graduate of Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, Pittsburgh. And uh, we also get helpers at Chosen People Ministries. You may have heard of them as well. They also help, and, and we have a little bit of a partnership on the street corner there. So we're in Pittsburgh. Mitch also is in South Florida, again, as was prayed for. Um, Mitch goes there because his dad lives there. And his dad lives there kind of in a, in a retirement area. Um, and again, this is where a lot of Jewish people are going to retire and going quite literally to die with no eternal hope. Mitch's dad is a 97-year-old Jewish atheist. 97-year-old Jewish atheist. The sun is definitely setting on his life, and he doesn't know his Messiah. And Mitch will go down there and again get some local volunteers to hit the streets with him, as well as sitting around in the nice uh, evening air or whatever it is. Just, uh, and he, he simply told me that was a group of uh, old folks just discussing life. Well, what a wonderful thing to do as people are retiring. Let's discuss, let's discuss eternal life. So we're also there in, in, in South Florida. And then, as I said, uh, we are engaging in church uh, assistance. Um, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to, to uh, air to you as well is just this little quotation that I have on the bottom of the AC course. Um, However many full-time Christian workers we're able to recruit, there can never be enough missionaries to reach every Jewish person. The local church is God's main agent of evangelism. I believe that ecclesiologically um, as well as I believe that practically. We're never going to have enough missionaries for six million Jewish people. So the local church 
is God's main agent of evangelism. So the, uh, it's, it's on our website, cwina.org. Uh, we have a, a missionary update page. You can check that out and hear some of Mitch's stories there. And we have the AC course page as well. Um, so cwina.org, ac-course. Then we're involved in things on a national level as well. We're not simply we do our thing and we're the most reformed, blah, 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 and, and we must only do that. We are involved uh, in a wider group of ministries. Chaim uh, is a reformed ministry from a PCA pastor in, in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've come across Fred Klett at all in, in Philly. Um, Fred has been around a lot longer even than we have been on these shores. Fred has been engaging in, in that, uh, even as it says, recommended by the PCA, I think about 25 years ago. So uh, uh, Fred is, is doing a good localized ministry in Philly. And we're working even with Fred and, and we're endeavoring to, to develop our partnerships uh, with uh, that kind of localized Jewish ministry. Uh, in, uh, and, and Fred is a PCA pastor, um, even though he looks Jewish there, he's not Jewish. <laughs> He's a PCA pastor. If you've ever been at PCA General Assembly and you hear somebody blowing the shofar, that's Fred Klett. Yeah, so, and he really annoys people because he blows it at just awkward times. And you're having a conversation, and you're uh, But it gets people's attention. And, uh, but Fred is, is quite a character. Um, but I love him in the Lord, and I love the ministry, and we're working together with him. Uh, LCJE is, uh, is a branch of the Lausanne movement. And the Lausanne Consultation on Jewish Evangelism, LCJE, is also kind of an umbrella for a lot of Jewish ministries. Now, this is, this is much broader, perhaps, than, than we uh, would be comfortable with ourselves, but we are very happy to be part of the broader uh, ministry and uh, the network of LCJE. So, Jews for Jesus, Chosen People, Life and Messiah, a ton of other different ministries, but they're all evangelistic. It's not the silly stuff. It's not the distracted stuff. It's not the lie of the land stuff. It's Jewish evangelism, and so we're happy to be a part of that broader body. I think, uh, yeah, down the bottom, Chosen People Ministries, that's their webpage as well. Um, so again, we're not just parochial. We're not just ourselves, we ourselves, and no other. Um, we are engaged in, in that national level, and then we're also engaged internationally. And uh, I want to do this on kind of two levels. I want us to look at the, the uh, UK and Europe uh, work, and I also want to look at Israel's work. And so I'm going to uh, move over to the work in Israel, um, and I'll talk a little bit more in the sermon about that. But um, these are a few slides that I've stolen from my colleague uh, in Israel, and that's why they have a different backing background to them. But um, in the past, CWI managed a Christian bookshop. Uh, and in the 1990s, that was handed over to a local congregation. So we're talking, we had a presence in the land in the in 1920s. 1922, Dr. Churcher had a medical mission in Haifa. And we also then had some bookshop in Hageffen Street, Haifa. In the 1970s, that bookshop moved to the center of the country, uh, south of Tel Aviv. And so we've been involved before in Israel before Israel was the nation. Um, and indeed, when you're reading these old masters and McShane and Bonner and Rutherford, there was no land then, but they were praying for and, and desirous of Jewish redemption, Israel's redemption. But there was no land um, reconstituted as, as it is today. 
but not as it is today. There, I believe there is a significance in that, but it's a significance that pertains to the gospel, not to politics. And so also even, again, I, I love what David has written on this, the heart of CWI's theology of mission is the belief that we should support the growth of churches, not supplant them. Amen. We are, we are church-based mission. Uh, and that's what we've been, again, from, uh, from the inception. This is the, the Zadok family, David Zadok. Um, I, I love his name because uh, if you know your Hebrew, it's David the Righteous. <laughs> so it, it, it's uh, David uh, Zadok, Zedek. Um, and he studied at Westminster uh, in California in 2003. But he returned in 2006 and uh, was our field leader, commenced our ministry there as 2006. Uh, I have David actually coming and visiting Arkansas in January, and I'm really looking forward to it, to having him in our home for a few days. Um, I see David over the years, either in the U.S. or the U.K., and, and we catch up. I Zoomed with him a few weeks ago. But uh, I love him in the Lord, a Reformed Baptist. He's the pastor of Grace and Truth Reformed Baptist Church uh, in uh, just south of Tel Aviv, um, and uh, it was Rishon Litzion, but they just recently moved the location a little bit uh, from that. But he is engaged in, in pastoring a church. He's also engaged in publication, translation, distribution of good literature. And so I, I want to very quickly run through some of the books uh, that they've been translating into modern Hebrew for the first time ever. Israel is getting literature. The land is getting books of Jerry Bridges, Singler Ferguson, Calvin, Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink, Holy War by John Bunyan. These have been translated for the first time ever into modern Hebrew. Um, a book of Bible stories for children. Um, there's also a five volume of this, about this size, of the Old Testament. So we've completed that. It was like a 10-year project. But the Old Testament, for the first time, written or translated into modern Hebrew with Israeli art. You know, often the Bibles are all Western art, but it's the Middle East. And so we've employed Israelis to, uh, to, to, to do the artwork um, for children. This one's a children's one, but the other one is actually for, for everyone. It's, it's the scriptures translated into modern Hebrew. Um, first book of children's Bible stories. We also, uh, this is uh, commentary on judges. So, um, and this one, I used to have this book on my bookstall, The Son of Hamas. Some of you might even have bought it the last time I was here. But uh, this son of Hamas, the, the son of the founder of Hamas came to faith in Jesus. And, and this is translated in, in modern Hebrew. So they have that in Israel, about a Hamas, the son of Hamas, coming to faith in Jesus. Um, I'm just fascinated with what stuff they're bringing forth. Knowing God by Jim Packer, again, in modern Hebrew. Just recently, they've been working alongside Ligonier Ministries, and I hope again to, to assist in that, so that the, all of Ligonier stuff is being translated into modern Hebrew, or at least with subtitles. You know there's a lot of video, uh, Ligonier's a lot of video stuff. So that's going to be put in subtitles to help the church, help the believers in the land of Israel. Now, the land, in the land of Israel, there are about 130 churches. It's a tiny little piece of land, of course, remember. About 130 churches but about 30,000 believers. Now, among the 7 million other Jewish people, doesn't seem a lot, but there are about 30,000 believers and growing. And so to assist the church and, and 
give this kind of literature into their hands. That just, that just delights me. So that's kind of what uh, my colleagues and buddies are doing uh, across the pond, really across the pond, across the Mediterranean as well, uh, in the land of Israel. And then, uh, we are part of what used to be CWI UK, but has changed their name by, as of last January, but we didn't change our name. But they changed their name to International Mission to Jewish People. Uh, the, the, the society that was founded in 1842, first of all, was the British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Among the Jews. It's a very long, long title. It then became the International Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Among the Jews. It then became the British Jews Society and the International Jews Society. Uh, and then it became Christian Witness to Israel in the 1970s. Um, but just, uh, as I say, last January, they changed their name to the International Mission to Jewish People. Um, and there were certain reasons for that, but there were also certain reasons why my board said, we're not changing our name. We're keeping it. It's fine. Um, and it's, it's taken me nine or ten years to build up a brand recognition. Uh, and even from that pure pragmatic point of view, um, I, I don't think we need at this point to change our name. But just if you see International Mission to Jewish People, that's our parent body. That's the body that McShane started way back in 1842. And that's some of the team, and uh, Mitch is in there, and I'm in there, and some of the folks at head office. That was a, a couple of years ago when, when we could travel. Uh, and some of the folks, uh, there's folks from Hungary there, there's folks from Israel there, there's folks, uh, obviously the, the lady at the front center is, is Grace Land from Taiwan. She's been in Scotland, she's been in Glasgow for about 30 years as a faithful uh, mission and many, many Jewish friends in, in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, we have RL from Paris, he's there. Um, an international group of people who uh, are all one in Messiah and seeking the Jewish people to know their Messiah. With mercy and with judgment, my web of time he wove. He has woven all our times and all the way in which that international body has come together and how that international body has functioned for decades and uh, even a century and a bit. 180 years, God willing, November uh, 2022. We will mark 180 years. And I'm kind of already beginning to think, well, what, what, kind, what, will, I, what will I do to make, make it uh, special for 180 years? And I'm kind of thinking, okay, Project 180, there we go. I, I haven't run this by my board yet, so please don't, this is not, this is not proven and not, not, uh, not, not approved. But couple of thoughts that I have over on the right side. Maybe that the church needs to do a 180. Nah, maybe that's too naff. I don't know. That the Jewish people would do a 180. Yeah. Or that 180K would be raised for new missionaries. I don't know. Those are just a couple of <laughs> crazy ideas. Okay. Let's pass by that. The dead. Forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Every time I read that in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is read Ecclesiastes. It's so bang up to date. Preach on Ecclesiastes. It is so relevant. You, you are? You are? Seriously? I didn't even know that. There you go. We are so much on the same page, brother. <laughs> wow. Ecclesiastes is a book for today, and I'm sure you've got Sinclair Ferguson's little book on it maybe as well. If you haven't, that's a good one. It's a very tiny one. Um, but Ecclesiastes, every time I read it, it's, it's just, it is so... It's the wisdom, isn't it? One of the things that particularly strikes me, and maybe it's just because I'm uh, 
I've now turned the big 6-0, and in fact, uh, 61 is coming up uh, in, in about a week's time. Um, you start to realize you're here for a time, only for a time. The dead, forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. I love this stuff. I love seeing you. I love me. I love travel. I love doing all this stuff. I love stirring you. I love preaching. But there's going to come a time when mission is no more. And it's done. What are we doing with our time? With mercy and with judgment. My web of time he wove. Now, I need to read some notes because I haven't got it all quite in my head. But as we think of Samuel Rutherford, and we'll just draw to a close, because we want to have a little bit of Q&A time. With mercy and with judgment are from that hymn, are from Anne Ross Cousins' um, hymn on the last words of Samuel Rutherford. And again, a little bit of history. Samuel Rutherford was minister of the Church of Scotland in Anwath in 1627 to 1636. I actually have visited Anwath and visited his church. His church is just rubble about this high. Um, tiny little village. It was actually on the road from Scotland to England as I used to travel and, and go to my Banner of Truth conference every year as I used to do. Uh, and we used to drive past, and Anwath, it, it, a little sign on the road, Anwath, five miles. And we said, have we got time? Yeah, yeah, let's go and visit Anwath. And uh, so I, I, I remember it well. And Anwath, located in southwest Scotland near the Solway Firth. Solway Firth, if those of you who don't know what a firth is, it's a long, narrow inlet of the sea. But back to the history, Rutherford was charged with nonconformity in 1630. And in those days, nonconformity really meant treason. Because again, they were imposing Anglican forms of worship, and Rutherford said, no. Mm -mm. And so he was imprisoned for a time in Aberdeen. Again, and that resonates with me because my grandfather came from Aberdeen, and indeed my great, great, great. I've got two or three generations back from, from Aberdeen. 1638. Again, those who do know your history better than I, a revolution in Scotland led to the signing of the Solemn League and Covenant, and churches were granted freedom. And Anglicanism was pushed back, was resisted. Rutherford was freed from his prison. He got back to Anwath, and he was teaching, he was preaching. Uh, he became the professor of divinity at St. Andrews, and he was again, 1644, 1645, to, he, he, was, he was coming down to the Westminster Divines, to the Westminster Assembly in London. And uh, his love and desire for the Jewish salvation came through in the documents, as I've already said. But then things changed again, as they do. 1660, those of you who, again, know your history, death of Cromwell, end of the Commonwealth, and restoration of Charles II as king, and Rutherford's in trouble. He's in trouble with the state, church, uh, he was removed from church office. He was charged with treason. He was summoned to appear before the British Parliament. But when the summons came, Rutherford was on his deathbed. And so we read lovely words in Anne Ross Cousins' summary of his life. They've summoned me before them, but there I may not come. My Lord says, come up hither. My Lord says, Welcome home, my king, now at his white throne, my presence doth command, where glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. We are here for but a time, 
how are we using that time? My web of time he wove. In the Lord's sovereign providence and purpose, I am here with you today, praise God, and we're here to talk about the engine people. May he be weaving our thoughts and our hearts for these kingdom, kingdom realities. And there we're done. Let's, let's have a moment's prayer just as we pause on that, and then a few questions. We'll have 10 minutes or so of questions. Father, we do bow before you and acknowledge that our times are in your hand. We don't acknowledge also that the time, sands of time are sinking and the dawn of heaven is breaking. And we pray that you would give us wisdom in the hours, days, years, whatever you may have before us. That you would give us wisdom and that you would give us an intentionality pertaining to your kingdom. Help us not to be distracted by so many other silly things. Help us to be focused and help us to live our lives seeking first the kingdom and all other things will be added. And so bless our time together in, in, in the brief time that we have here in, these, uh, in this day or so. And grant us to know you better and to know your purposes and to know that you are king. And one day you as king will summon us up yonder for your own glory even. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, a few minutes of questions, um, and if they pertain to the land, wait till the sermon. <laughs> a few questions, perhaps. Yeah, we're, it's really Ligonier and Hageffen, so it's my colleague David is more working one-on-one -on -one with them rather than me personally, though I've been getting some of the email back and forth and, and uh, been asking to put churches in the way of those that are you know, wanting to give to, to that particular uh, work or that project. So yeah, we can, we can help or facilitate in some way if, if that was uh, on the heart, for example, that you wanted to help with the Ligonier project. And uh, you know, so um, it's, it, actually it was, a, it was an email I got from David Strain of uh, formerly Ligon Duncan, Ligon Duncan's successor at First Pres Jackson. Uh, and David's on my advisory board and uh, so, and he used to be actually my chairman on my board, but he, uh, First Pres Jackson became a little bit busy for him, so he, he decided just to become on my advisory board. But David's a good friend, and so there, there's kind of been a little bit of a roundabout way. But yeah, we're in the mix of it, and uh, certainly whenever, I, whenever David Zadok comes and visits in January, uh, I really want to talk through with him some of the things that he's doing as well, and, uh, and see in what ways we can very specifically help some of this project. So yeah, it's... it's it's a thrill to be a part of that. I, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll say it a little bit maybe in the sermon as well, but when you see all the stupid stuff that people are getting interested in and are just, oh, isn't that, blood, oh, there's a blood moon coming tonight. This thrills me that, that, that the, some of the best material in the U.S. from the best of guys is, is actually going to be filtered into the land of Israel and, and affect the, the small church that's there. But they need it because they're getting, you can be sure they're getting a lot of the silly stuff too. So a lot of, a lot of the dispensational literature, a lot of, uh, you know, that's being poured in from the big, big mega churches. And so they're, they're pouring a lot of silly stuff into to Israel. But we are actually 
pretty much the only reformed publishing house in Israel, so far as I know. Um, and there, we have, I, I, David would say that, you know, over the years, our influence has actually, in the 1970s, theirs was the only reformed church in Israel. Uh, but I think there's something like six or seven or eight now uh, that would come under the umbrella of reformed theology. Um, and so, you know, we are having an impact uh, in the land. And so good literature, we, we know good literature has an impact. We love literature. We love books. And so to be able to be a part of spreading that good literature in the land is, is thrilling to me. What's the deal with the blood moon? Well, again, you, you, you probably need to be more in the Texas area or the sort of Mississippi, but John Hagee produced a book on blood moons. Yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> it's, it's a moon. It's a bit red. But then when you see all kinds of significances to that, oh, that, oh that's, yeah, and we're going to have this and this and this and all that's going to happen and that's going to happen. So it's, it's, this, it's kind of, seeing the signs of the times just because the moon has uh, a little coloring to it. That, and you can write a good book on it and sell millions of copies. Yeah, that works. It's got nothing to do with Jewish evangelism, though. Yeah, nothing. And that, kind of, that, that's kind of what saddens me. That you know, And there was another book called on The Harbinger. I don't know if you've ever come across that, The Harbinger, um, where, again, a, a Cohen... I think, uh, you know, he wrote, basically he was saying that this particular verse in Isaiah uh, where the, that we will, we will rebuild the towers that have fallen. Yeah, of course. Of course Isaiah was speaking about 9-11. Duh, yeah. But, you know, when you get that kind of crazy stuff, that people um, take a certain obscure verse of scripture and they will make a book out of it and they'll sell it. Hmm, I've got the secret. It's, it's Christian Gnosticism all over again. I've got the secret. You don't know it, but let me, let me welcome you into the secret, but you've got to pay a few dollars for it. it, it that just saddens me that that kind of, the, the, the intellectual interest of the evangelical public is, is in that kind of stuff and the uh, financial interest is in that kind of stuff instead of gospels. And it's what you said this morning earlier, brother, that we are into the gospel. Uh, that's, we want to see Jewish people hear the gospel because they told it to us. They prayed for us. They told it to us. We, it, salvation is of the Jews. We are where we are because some Jewish guys crossed oceans to tell the Gentiles about their Messiah Jesus. And here we are sitting as, as the fruit of that. And so it, we are obligated to bring it back to those that brought it to us. I'm getting preaching again. Okay. <laughs> Question.
it, it, yeah, that's, again, one of the reasons why I did kind of put together the Awakening of Conscience course for, for that very reason, because you've got a Jewish dentist, you've got a Jewish doctor, you've got a Jewish lawyer, and of course they're all lawyers, but you've, you've got, you've got a, so many people have got these friendships. I've, I've, you know, there's a pastor's wife in, in, in Louisiana, um, and his, um, his wife has this Jewish friend from high school for over 30 years. Uh, and, and they said, we, we promised each other we would never talk um, politics or religion. And I said, well, you know, forget the politics, but let's talk about Let's talk about Jesus. You better bring that question up. But the, you're, you're absolutely right. How do you bring that up? How do you bring the question up? I think, how do you do that in ordinary, whether it's Jewish or Gentile? You make, there's a point of connect. We used to, prior to this, we had a very, this is a 20-week course. Um, we had a four-seminar course called Connecting with the Cohens. Uh, that's what we named it. And we had, I think if I can remember my headings was, the, the authorization for Jewish mission, the aroma of Jewish mission, the, um, the aspiration of Jewish mission, uh, and there was one other, I can't exactly, but we've expanded really into the, f the four has become 20. But connecting with the Cohens was our theme. How do you make the connect? And, and even our, um, the third section of that is contemporary connections. The challenges to connecting. So you've got to find out where they are. Are they agnostic or atheist? So I, I do one section on the agnostic and atheist. Or are they observant or orthodox? And that kind of was where the whole, you know, 57 varieties fall into. There's, there's the atheist through the agnostic, through to the generally observant, but not too strict, through to the orthodox, the ultra-orthodox, etc. So I've done two sections really on how do we reach the atheist. Well, first of all, with the atheist, you brought up the question of God. You called yourself an atheist. Well, let's talk about the God question. Really, you're an atheist? Why are you still here? Why are the Jewish people still here? What is your history? You should have been wiped out centuries. Hitler should have wiped you out. Herod should have wiped you out. Haman should have wiped you out. And they all begin with H. Yeah, why was that? You should have been wiped out. You're still here. And the Jewish history, which is stunning if you study it, and one of the lectures, a couple of lectures are on the Jewish history, it's stunning. It's, it's, again, it screams at us, God is. And so what I try to tell the Jewish atheists that I'm engaging with, you can't be a Jewish atheist because you're still here. You're evidence that God is. And then you carry it on from that. With the ultra-Orthodox, well, you can go into Scripture. Okay, and the ultra-Orthodox look upon the Torah as of higher um, inspiration than the, the, law, the, the prophets and the writings. So again, you need to kind of know that, and, and okay, you're going to quote Isaiah 53. And, well, yeah, was, Isaiah was a good guy, but what about Moses? So they will ask you about Moses, and you need to be ready to say, well, what about Leviticus? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. How do you do that today, guys? You don't have blood sacrifices today. So you, you try and make a point of connect with whatever. I, I kind of use what the philosopher's argument would be, the ad absurdum argument. In other words, you, you take where they are, and in the most gracious and sensitive way possible, you try and make it absurd. <laughs> you try and make their argument ridiculous. So that you say, okay, well then let me bring, you know, today's argument. Um, trans people can engage in women's sports. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. 
It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And, it, and the whole thing will come down. It'll collapse because it's an absurd argument. So with, um, you know, with, with anybody that we're engaging, you've got to make a point to connect so you find out what interests them. Um, and you, know, you have to get into their world. And I think this is something, again, that maybe we Gentiles, I'm a Gentile, of course, but we Gentiles maybe don't know the Jewish world well enough. And we need to just try and build up the friendships. The one thing that I really would say is, is, is just establish friendships and maintain those friendships. And even the very, you know, I, one of the sections is called the fragrance of friendship, uh, the aroma of Christ. What is, what is that fragrance that is coming forth from our lives? Uh, I've got a section on the wisdom of words. What words do we use when we're talking to our Jewish friends? Don't talk about the Old Testament because they don't have an Old Testament. Same Bible, at least two-thirds of it, but it's not an Old Testament. They call it the Tanakh, which is T-N-K, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, the Writings. So if you're talking to a Jewish person, you can simply talk about the Hebrew Scriptures or the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah. You can talk about that, but don't call it the Old Testament. It may be useful not to call him the Christ and instead call him the Messiah because he, that's the Hebrew term for the Greek term, Christ. Maybe if you're talking with a Jewish person, it'd be better to use Hebrew terms. Talk about shalom um, and what brings shalom. So there is wisdom in words. Um, and, and the last thing that I talk in terms of contemporary connections are that, that, that the rabbis have really reinterpreted. Jewish people that you meet today are not like the Jewish people you meet in the New Testament or in, in, in Scripture. They're, they're, they're 2,000 years removed. Don't think, oh, I know all about the Jewish people because I read about them every day in my Bible reading. No, 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 no. Jewish people today are 2,000 years removed with 2,000 years of rabbinic reinterpretation. And so we kind of got to know what have the rabbis taught them. Well, one thing they've taught them, it's not Jesus. That's one thing that they teach them. And so we need, again, to enter into the world, but make the connections Whatever way, whether it's, it's, whether it's as a dentist, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever is your friendship and whatever is your connection, make it, retain it, so that when the Lord presses their heart, who are they going to call? Again, I've, I, on over time, but, but one tiny, tiny, very quick story. One of my colleagues in England, young Jewish guy, messed up life, and uh, he got into serious trouble. And the first thing he called was the Jewish, was, was the missionary. Why did you not go to your rabbi? Well, the missionary had been his friend. And so when people, they, they get old, they get sick, they get lonely, they get whatever, who are they going to call? Ghostbusters, who are they going to call? They're going to call the Christian friend who is showing the aroma of Christ and showing the peace of God. You've got, you've got something I don't have. What is it? Tell me about it. That's the making jealous of Romans 11. So use the connections, develop connections, and just wait on the Lord. But be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. We're done. Thank you. <laughs> Time for a break. And I was told if I go over half past, the kids are going to want their snacks. So does the preacher, actually, yeah. <laughs>